Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This morning I had a very brief conversation with DeWitt Smith, who will be at the Oosterhout Library in Wilkes-Barre tomorrow to talk about her book, Home at last, and I would describe her as a corker. Uh, so here she comes, Dewitt Smith. It was so great to speak to you for a couple this morning on WILK. And now it's our turn to uh, share you with the audience. So welcome. Well, thanks, Sue. Good morning to you again. Good morning. You're so funny. Uh, and I, I appreciate that about people is that they, they are humorous, um, even from the first sentence when I talk to them. So that's a, a great trait to have. Well, I grew up in a house where the motto was, you don't have to be nuts to live here, but it helps. <laughs> so that was something that uh, our uh, my sisters and I heard all the time from my stepmother, and um, it helped us see things on tilt. You know, we're not regular. We, we were a very irregular family. Right, and uh, your family... Uh, was part of the the founding of the Times Leader newspaper and kept that paper in the family for a couple of generations. So you know a little bit about uh, that side of the table, too, and that's kind of a wacky industry. Talk a little bit about growing up in uh, the the home of people who had such a vested interest in the newspaper business. Well, first of all, the... um my grandfather, Colonel Ernest Gray Smith, founded the paper with his uh, roommate from Lafayette and Fred Kirkendall, which is how he came to live in Wilkes-Barre. And, um, uh, and then just through the years, the, uh, and through a strike, the publishing company, Wilkes-Barre Publishing Company, acquired uh, the Times Leader, or a paper that became the Times Leader. So I grew up with five newspapers in the house every day. And uh, the Times Leader, the Wilkes-Barre Record, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the New York Times, and the New York Herald Tribune. So at a very early age, I saw newspapers all over the place. And I learned to read the newspapers, uh, and that was my entertainment. So I was indoctrinated from a very young age. A lot of people don't see them as entertainment, but I think they are, and I think you're right, that you do get a a very unique view from sitting down and reading a couple of them. You you know uh, a little bit about uh, how how they write, how two different newspapers in the same town can report a story, mm-hmm. and and you mm-hmm. grow to get uh, a base of knowledge, which uh, you do what used as a professional. Well, the, I, I talk about how I have uh, printer's ink in my blood, and um, a lot of uh, young readers have no idea what printer's ink is, as I see everything online. But uh, the, you know, I'm the third-generation journalist in the family, and I, I, I think I picked up on the curiosity, the endless curiosity, and the interesting conversations that were held in uh, at the dining room table or that the grown-ups held about, oh, 
politics and what was going on and references to history and um and it was really contagious i was lucky to be a bright and good student so i listened attentively and my lessons have paid off it sir it created a profession for me what was it like to be part of a family that was kind of intertwined with the history of wyoming valley and and who do you remember running into when you were a kid and, and thinking, wow, that person's really a character. Well, for instance, um, uh, my uh, ancestors came here back in the 1700s and settled. And so uh, uh, along with that longtime residency, was there also longtime knowledge of, uh, about who else was here? And that was passed down from generation to generation. So when my father used to take my four younger sisters and me out to Ricketts Glen State Park, we'd go by and visit Mr. Ricketts and Lake Jean, named for his daughter. So we had this very personal connection. I knew who Mr. Ricketts was, you know, and, and sat in this Georgian library that he had out on the mountain and um, you know to see uh, the books that he had and to hear him talk with my father about the politics of what was going on uh, and strikes that were going on coal strikes or newspaper strikes um, I got a really good education about how things work and how things work through politics now, in uh, your book, you do write about uh, your childhood not actually being totally idyllic, and I think a lot of us can relate, although some families yes. try to hide these facts from uh, from the others. Uh, you're candid about them. Yes. The, uh, I, I, I grew up in a, a household where there were two alcoholics, and one was functioning and the other was not, and it was... Nothing. I never had the vocabulary to describe why this movie was so fuzzy. You know, the fine-tuning was always slightly on the fritz. And um, uh, my father showed up for work all the time and, and was prompt and very responsible. Uh, but he was also on the weekends, you know, uh, a corker, as you said. Um the, the first time I ever saw a man in drag was when my father dressed up in uh, his wife's maternity clothes, and he wandered across the street to a garden party that women were having next door and sat himself down and said, I'm Mrs. McGillicuddy. I just moved into the neighborhood, and I thought I'd drop by. And all the women laughed uproariously and offered him a whiskey sour, which is exactly what he wanted at noon, you know. <laughs> And I thought, you know, I think if people at the bank saw Dad right now, they'd think it was very weird. You know, I was only nine years old when I saw this. My eyes were popping. But uh, that was sort of the costume party element that there was around the house. Everything had a costume. And certainly that kind of uh, upbringing from your small age there through your adulthood there are things that you take away from that that make you who you are today, and there are things you take away from that that are painful, right? Yes, absolutely. It wasn't until I moved to Miami and uh, I got sober myself as a recovering alcoholic. Um, I've celebrated 32 years of sobriety, and and along the way I have 
I started therapy, and just at that moment was the movement for adult children of alcoholics. So all of a sudden, the curtain was pulled back, and I had a whole other explanation of what was going on uh, in my uh, childhood. It wasn't just the grown-ups. It was what happened, the uh, impressions of all that, and the effects of all the alcoholism on the children. And sometimes it was funny, and sometimes it was sad. Um, one of the lessons, and I, I don't want to be macabre about it, but one of the lessons my father taught my four sisters and me was how to have a good time. He loved going to parties and having a good time. And uh, at his 80th birthday party, he had a big dinner uh, dance at the Westmoreland Club in Wilkes-Barre, and I spoke to an old friend of his, Jack Cunningham, and uh, I said, you know, Dad's having such a good time, and he turned to me and said, your father always has had a good time. I've known him since he was four years old, and he has always had a good time. And the takeaway was that he passed that on to his four or his five daughters, you know, so... Uh, it's not just that uh, things that happen, but we all know how to have a good time and enjoy our lives. Of course, when uh, you do get sober, though, everything does kind of change, and a lot of that good time equals drinking, and then you don't have that anymore. And it it really rips a lot out of you because a lot of people won't hang out with you anymore, right, Duet? Absolutely. The, uh, um, the, the people I was... Uh, parting with in in, um, Miami, uh, I never saw any of them again, and no one ever called me, and I thought, well, I wonder what happened. I wonder if they thought I just got the bubonic plague and died. But, you know, I just, it was interesting to see all of a sudden, um, they weren't friends, they were just drinking companions, and I had a whole new playpen and a whole new set of playmates, and that's, uh, that was that was easy for me to do. I, I don't know why it was uh, easy, but I think I was just blessed with understanding of uh, about the nature of alcoholism. I had a that summer, the summer of '85. I was editing the medical column in the Miami News, where I was an editor, and. There were three white papers uh, from the uh, Journal of, uh, uh, of New England Medicine and the American Medical Association on the DNA of alcoholism. There, was a, uh, there were two white papers on the fact that alcoholism was hereditary. So that day that somebody asked me a question, is drinking a problem in your life, I had a whole uh, backload of information and education about what alcoholism was, though I'd never heard the word applied to me or my family. It was an aha moment. That is so interesting, because it seems to me, Duet, that a lot of people saw what was transpiring in your life, but nobody equated that to alcoholism. They, they equated it to a good time. Yes, they equated it to the family was a very colorful family, <laughs> That was how they described us. Not that we were crazy. Oh, those Smiths are so colorful. And <laughs> and that was the alcoholism, you know. Uh, and nobody misbehaved. Nobody ever had drunken uh, uh, car accidents or falling down episodes or, or any violence of any sorts. But uh, it was very madcap, very anti-mamish. 
Now, and of course, the wicked, and of course, the wicked stepmother was a a uh, caricature right out of Cinderella. You know, this is a D. Witt Smith. She'll be at the Oosterhout tomorrow evening with her book Home at Last. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to allude too much to the cover art because I want that to be kind of a a thing that you talk about with the folks at the Oosterhout. How did you hook it up with with them, and and what are you going to do tomorrow when you're at the library at and at what time? Well, I, I just um, put on my my good girl, my big girl panties and walked in and said, "I understand you have meet the author nights here in the summer, and who do I see about it?" And I showed them the cover of my book and said, uh, "You know, I grew up in Dallas, and I would love the opportunity to speak here." So it, all of that came out of a cold call and just walking in uh, through the doors of the Oosterhout. And the focus tomorrow is that. The promise of recovery. I, I, my belief is that adult children of alcoholics have invisible wounds. They can't see what the wounds are. What they experience is a continuation and a pattern of bad relationships. And I'm saying it doesn't have to be that way. And my experience is the way to break it is through therapy. Because only the therapist has a decoder ring. <laughs> Very good. Dewitt Smith, it's our pleasure to have you on. Uh, the book is Home at Last. What time is the, the show tomorrow night at the Ooster House? It's at 6 o'clock, Sue. Good. It's nice and early. And uh, people yes. can uh, go out and, and, and see your talk and get your book and then head out for a nice dinner and have a great night in downtown Wilkes-Barre. So uh, I, thank you so much for uh, appearing today. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much, Sue, for uh, inviting me for an interview. All right. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.